Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. It's great to be with you all today. Um, uh, the uh, next church in our Lake Forest family of churches will launch on Sunday, September 8th. It's, uh, uh, it'll be called Lake Forest uh, uh, El Buen Samaritano. I get that wrong every time. It'll be a Spanish-speaking congregation, uh, a gift to the Spanish-speaking community in North Mecklenburg, North Charlotte area. So we're really excited about Pastor Victor and that effort, and I ask that you guys pray alongside for the fruitfulness of that congregation, and they will become a sister church just like we are. I love being sister churches with you all. Uh, one of the things that we share among our family of churches is the Word of God. We teach the same sermon series at all of our churches. Uh, your pastor, Aaron, and I collaborate quite frequently, sometimes extensively, on individual sermons. I love that. Also, Aaron and I uh, co-taught a graduate class together uh, in June at Gordon-Conwell Seminary called Church Planting in a Post-Christian Context. He, and I are, uh, he is real wind in my sails, and I'm thankful for Aaron Gibson, your pastor. Uh, we also uh, share the same mission and vision as churches, in, in just that we're here to disciple one another to become more like Jesus and live on God's mission of love to the world as we grow as disciples. And while being a very unique church that seeks to be safe and winsome for people who've given up on church but not on God, to discover the love of God through Jesus. Well, let's turn to God's Word today uh, uh, and Elisha, most likely to be a doctor. And let me just pray for a second. Heavenly Father, We come in here and we brought a bunch of stuff with us, some good stuff, some bad stuff. All of our stuff is hot right now, Uh, but we just, we come before you and we thank you that in your word, the Bible, you've, you've spoken all that we need to know for life, love, destiny, and a relationship with you. Speak just, would just through your word specifically uh, to a heart need of each of us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I have two sons, Dylan and Austin, and they were 15 and 16 years old when I decided it was time for me to teach them to play golf, which is entirely too late if you're a parent and you want to teach your kid to play golf, you need to do it way before then because it did not take. But I took them out to Burkdale. They were 15, 16 years old, and I was like, uh, 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 sons, here, here's how golf works. They were, they were athletes. They were football players, big, strong workout guys, and I said, but son, golf is a little different. You need to swing easy, and that's the way you hit it, long and straight. And they're like, Dad, that's dumb. Uh, you swing easy because you're old and weak. We're young and buff, and so we're going to flat kill that ball and swing as hard as we can. And so the Moses boys changed the weather pattern in Huntersville that afternoon, swinging those golf clubs so hard. I mean, this is everything in it. They were swinging to those balls, swinging to those balls, and balls were going left. And golf balls were going right. And golf balls were going dribble, 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 dribble. Not a single one went long and straight. And they were getting so frustrated. They're like, what's the deal? I'm an athlete. I'm big. I'm swinging hard. I'm like, guys, one more time. Trust me. Uh, swing easy and you'll connect and it'll go long and straight. 
You're like, Dad, that's just dumb. Okay, since you're old and have some experience, and since you've played a lot more golf than us, we'll try it that way. Sure enough, both Dylan and Austin, they, they lined up, and they swung it easy and smooth, and smack, the balls started going long and straight, just the way Mike Sharp hits them every single time, uh, because they trusted me. And life is an adventure in trust, always. When we get married, we trust. When we have children, we trust. When we take a job, we trust. When we choose a new school, we trust. And the Christian life, our relationship with God, it's also all about trust. And this morning, we're going to look at an example of when a unique type of trust comes into play in our relationship with God. And that's in the specific instances that sometimes God asks us to do things that we just don't understand. Sometimes he asks us to swing easy when we're certain the answer is to swing with all of our might. And, and it doesn't make sense to us. It seems the opposite of what we should do. And as we survey our situation, our environment, our relationships, where we are in life, and then we look at what God is calling us to do through the Bible, we want to go, God, I'm not mad at you. I don't have anything against you. But that just doesn't seem to make any sense. It doesn't line up with my reality. It's too far afield from what seems like normal. And you have this experience frequently if you are just looking into the Christian faith for the first time, wondering, can I trust God? What would it mean to follow Jesus? And oftentimes, you'll have this moment where you go, well, God, that just doesn't, that seems off. And God, if you would just explain it to me, the reasons, then maybe I could line my life up with your will in that way that you're asking me. But just on the surface, what you're asking me to do with my life, in this specific instance or in the biggies, just doesn't seem to make sense at all. As I read the Bible, as I seek counsel and wisdom from other Christians whom I respect, as I listen to a sermon or hear the Holy Spirit in my spirit, just doesn't seem to make sense, Lord. For example, one of the things when I meet with people as pastor that, that, that doesn't seem to make sense to people on the face of it is this whole idea of, of giving financially to God's work in this world. Uh, and if you've been in a good church or in this one for very long that isn't afraid to actually teach all that God says in the Bible, then you will have seen this taught over and over. And God tells us that part of the spiritual life is to participate sacrificially, substantially, financially in the life of, of his church and in the life of missions, regardless of our financial situation, with 10% of all that God has given me the capacity to earn. And so then somebody comes in who is in debt, and it's a bit like, wait a minute, um, here I am in debt. I can hardly pay my bills, and yet God's asking me to give sacrificially, proportionally to his work in this world. God, I, I can't line those two things up. That doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, a few months ago, a, a divorced person uh, made an appointment with me. And we were talking about a number of things, but one of the things that he wanted to talk about was this. Pastor Mike, I know what the Bible says about human sexuality. That, that sex is reserved and is God's gift within the boundaries of a marriage only. But I was married for a long time. I lived with somebody for a bunch of years. 
does God really expect me to be celibate now that I'm divorced? I mean, that's just not realistic. That's for teenagers and youth group talks, isn't it? Or someone might say, uh, I remember one specific person. Um, Mike, I know what God says about being honest and ethical and all that. But my industry, my job, it's frankly kind of driven a bit by dishonesty uh, through exaggeration and deceit. How in the world could I change and follow Jesus in his way and yet still survive in this job that I feel like God led me to? That, that just doesn't seem to make sense. And on and on we could go with different illustrations, and I'm not trying to cover every situation, but what you can do if you're exploring the Christian faith or if you've been walking with Christ for very long, mark it down at some point in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If it hasn't already happened for you, you will run into something in the Bible where God will begin to deal with you or me personally, and we'll find ourselves at a crossroads going, Lord, I want to be on your team. I I, I want the abundant life that Jesus promises is available. I want to influence others for him and make a difference. But but that teaching, that just doesn't make sense. And I don't understand, Lord. God, explain yourself. Give me some reasons uh, uh, before I follow you in this part of my life. And and what makes this even a little more confusing for some of us is, is we know that in a lot of God's word in the scriptures, God does explain reasons for why he calls us to do certain things. It it like, here's why this is best, uh, and here's why. And we like those parts of the Bible. But when it comes to the parts where God says, this is best for you, this is how you were created to live, this honors me and is good for others this way, just trust me. And we can't see the reason on the front end. Something inside me rebels against that. Perhaps you as well. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, I'll also have this on the screen. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, that page probably will have some dust on it you'll need to blow out. This is not like a a really common part of Scripture that we teach from. And and this is a a moment in the Old Testament. It's in the history of ancient Israel uh, who are freshly off being chosen as God's chosen people, learning how to live in relationship with the one true God. And they're to re-gift the world with the knowledge of this one good God. And ultimately, the Messiah, Jesus, will be birthed through them who has now offered salvation to everyone. But this is early in their history as the people of God, and they're learning about God. And we find a man in a similar situation to what I just described. And and in his response to this situation, it might give us a clue of how to respond ourselves and maybe a clue or two as to why God chooses to operate this way sometimes. Uh, It could be that that you're here and you're in a relationship. Maybe you've been single for a long time and you finally found the man or woman of your dreams and you're so happy about that and you may be moving toward engagement or marriage but there's uh, a, a gnawing on the inside perhaps and you feel as if maybe God's spirit is saying through your own self and through some wise friends around you, you know, this one isn't the right one yet and maybe you don't want to face that. God, it took me forever. I've been single long enough to get tired of single people problems. I'm ready for married people problems. <laughs> Lord, surely after all this time, you don't want me to back out of this relationship. But maybe God is kind of 
banging on your heart, saying, pay attention, I've got something different for you. But God, that doesn't seem reasonable to me right now. I want you to know that God is a reasonable God. God has the best of reasons for everything that he communicates to us and everything he has done and will do. But in some cases, we don't find out God's reasons until after we respond with either trust or a lack of trust until we've made the choice. It could be that someone's in a marriage and you just want out. There's no abuse, but all the circumstances around you and all the people at work are saying, get out. But as you look into God's word and as you listen to close mentors and around you, you know God's saying, stay in and give it everything you've got. And that doesn't seem to make sense. How can we understand that? So in these situations, sometimes we almost feel like we're struggling or fighting against God, but we we don't want to be there in our relationship with him, and we don't understand why he's asking us to do what he asks us to do. And so that's the story of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. I'll start with verse 1. Now, Naaman, will you say the word Naaman? He's our, he's our, our main guy today. Naaman. Naaman, all right, he's our main guy. Uh, he was a, a commander, that means a general, in the king, uh, in the, of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Verse 2, now Benz from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, the people of God, and she served General Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master Naaman would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he could cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram said, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. See, this is the the, the little baby nation of Israel getting to know a relationship with God who's revealed himself as Yahweh. And next door is this, this people group called Aram. And Aram, the Arameans, were actually raiders. They were like, their culture was like the Vikings. And every spring they would put together... Uh, groups of soldiers, and they would raid Israel and neighboring groups of people. And they would take from Israel during their annual raid crops, gold, silver, and often they would take prisoners. Notice it, 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 it states that there was this young girl from Israel who had been captured and made a servant uh, of General Naaman and his house. Uh, and so they made it this habit to, to, instead of raising their own crops, mining their own precious metals, they stole it from the surrounding groups of people. And Naaman was probably the the second most powerful man in Aram. He was a wealthy man. He was a commander. He was powerful, influential. So this would have been a national catastrophe for Aram, for for him to come down with leprosy. Because leprosy was much like the cancer of that day. Once you came down with it, uh, uh, it was worse than cancer in that day. There was no cure, and, and they would lose him as their commander. This young Jewish girl who was in captivity to them as their servant, she goes to the family and says, well, there's a man, there's a prophet in Israel who serves our God, and I'm pretty sure he could help Naaman 
because this prophet speaks for God and he does mighty deeds. God does mighty deeds through him. So Naaman sends an entourage to Israel to find this, and, and he assumes it must be the king of Israel because uh, they're all about power and Aram. Uh, and might. So it must be the king. So they go to find this king who has this magical power to heal leprosy. And the king writes a letter requesting peace for Naaman. Because get this, these are their arch enemies. And so the king writes a letter that's basically like a, a, a letter of safe passage to come and ask for healing. Verse, uh, verse 6. With this letter, the king writes, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? He's just trying to pick a quarrel with us. See, the king of Israel, he's like, I can't heal leprosy why do they come to me they must know that and this must be their strategy for me to fail to give them an excuse to come in and not just raid but actually take us over militarily that's what the king of israel is afraid of but fortunately somebody leaked out this exchange from within the palace and the head prophet elisha found out about it here's what he says verse 8 When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, Elisha sent the king this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have that man Naaman come to me, and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went. He went from the king now with his big parade, with his horses and chariots, because he's very important. And he stopped at the door of Elijah's house, which would have been humble. He was likely a very poor man as a prophet. Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to say to Naaman, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, here are two key words, I thought, would you say I thought with me? I thought the prophet would surely come out to me and stand And call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot. And fireworks would go off and it would cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, much better than any of the rivers of Israel, that little stream called Jordan? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. When he heard God's solution to his need, Naaman said, Well, I thought... And this is the same with you and with me. We are each an I thought kind of a person toward the Lord often when it comes to God's revealed will for our life. Me and you, we will never grow more spiritually into the mature, peaceful, content, joy-filled, wise, spiritual oak tree that gives shade to other people. We will never grow into that person spiritually until we acknowledge this about ourselves and start acting out of trust in what God says rather than what I thought was. Would you say, I thought, one more time with me, I thought, 
I really like this character study. Naaman is an interesting dude. So, so see, he pulls up with his chariots and his horses, and he's a very important person. And what he thought, he had engaged this picture in his mind of how God might do this. Uh, he would pull up, Elisha would come out, probably bow down and, and say, oh, you're such a great man. We're so honored to have you. And then he would probably do magic. And so this is the picture that Naaman has in his head of how this will go. And so when he pulls up, instead, a, a messenger comes out. Elisha doesn't even come out and address him. Did you notice that? He sends a messenger. It was probably a boy who was in training under Elisha. He sends a boy out who doesn't want to get close to Naaman because of his leprosy. And the kid says, uh, Sir, you're to go to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times and you'll be cured. And then he goes back in the house and closes the door. And Naaman is furious. He's like, that's not the way I thought this should go. And he's ticked, out, ticked off about it and ready to leave. But here's his problem where it begin, and where it begins to touch my life and yours a bit. See, Naaman understood what his need was. That's why he was there. And oftentimes we do. That's why we're seeking out God. And then he heard God's solution. And he did not see, understand the relationship between the two. He looked at his circumstances and he listened to what God had asked him to do through the prophet. And they were so far apart. He's like, what does that have to do with anything? Dipping seven times in the Jordan River? I don't need a bath. I need to be cured of a disease. What's the point? And and, and see, this is where I am a lot of times. Maybe you are as a person of faith. God, I understand my circumstances. I I know what I need. And I'm here coming to you because I'm looking to you. But now I hear what you've asked me to do as your follower. And I don't really understand the connection, Lord. It doesn't make sense to me. Now, Lord, if you would explain exactly why, maybe, and help me see the connection, then I might trust you and follow through on this. But, but I just don't get it. And, and now maybe we begin to get a little bit of a clue as to why God chooses to work this way sometimes. Because our tendency, when we don't understand why God asks us to do certain things, Our tendency is to focus on the reason. If I could just understand the reason, if you could give me the perfect reason, then I would follow through in God's way. But there are certain points in our life when God rocks our boat a little bit in order to get us to focus not on the reason, but on the relationship. And causes us to ask the question, is my focus with God on the reason for for why I'm to do this or why he wants me to do it or how's it going to fit in his plan and I need to know that ahead of time or am I focused on the relationship first? Because uh, some of us, the the longer we've been a Christian, we're very prone to look for the right principles in the Bible, which we should do and and sort of do the, the correct thing because God has said abundant life is found down that path and sort of find a, a, a technique to, to grow spiritually. But we can get so cause and effect oriented in our faith life that, that even in our faith we can miss the fact, wait, 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 this is a personal relationship with the living God, the person of God through the Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus. And every once in a while, I think God says, well, here's, here's what I'm asking you to do next. And I'm not going to reveal, you're not going to understand all the reasons why. 
because I want you to trust in me, not your ability to figure out why it's the next step for you or the right thing to do. I'm asking you to just trust me in our relationship and grow our relationship that way. And boy, is that difficult for us. But God's purpose behind this is because he loves you and he loves me. Because this isn't just about doing the the correct thing or the wrong thing. It's about relationship. And the essence of any good relationship at some point is trust. And at some point along the way, we and God have to make sure we are really genuinely day by day trusting God through Jesus relationally. Not simply living by our rationality. What makes perfect sense to us? And if, if it makes sense to me, then I'll take that step that God says to take. So every once in a while, this is the situation he leads us into. God, that doesn't make sense. I know, but it will at some point. In the meantime, trust me. Trust me. An example I thought of uh, was uh, when I graduated high school, like young Miss Dutka over here just did. And I was going off to college, and I had a, a, a great youth pastor mentor like you guys have in Caesar here. And he was like, okay, Mike, when you go to college... The, the, if you want to put, if you want to keep living with God first in your life, find a regular Christian fellowship and commit into that. Because the scriptures say, "Don't give up meeting together with Christians regularly." I'm like, "Okay, yes, sir. Trust my youth pastor. I'm going to do that." And I had a picture of how cool that was going to be. And so, the first couple of weeks of, of college, my freshman year, I visited the two main Christian fellowships on my campus, and I hated them. It wasn't the picture. I didn't like the music. I thought the people were weird and the leaders were cheesy. Like, that's not the picture. I thought there would be flocks and flocks of beautiful, young, Jesus-loving women. (laughs) And it would be fun, tons of fun and amazing. That's what I thought, like Naaman. But I, I didn't like those things at all. I was like, God, I thought... But then because of the mentoring of my youth pastor, I was like, but your word says to not give up meeting together regularly with Christians. That's the pathway to grow spiritually and put God first. So I will trust you that your word is right. And and I committed in to a fellowship group I didn't even like at all. (laughs) And I couldn't know why God was calling me to do that. I, I just knew that he was calling me to. And as a result, oh my goodness, all the blessings in my life, I grew spiritually like a weed during those years, and I even met my wife in that group. Uh, She wasn't there that first time I went. Uh, She was there later. Uh, I would have been more into it if she'd been there that first time. So that's an example of of one of the ways that I've seen this work in my own life. It, it would be like um, some of you guys may be uh, into, into stocks, some of you men and women. Uh, if you have a stockbroker who calls you up as a client and says, hey, I want you to buy stock XYZ, and you say, why? And the broker gives you his 10 detailed reasons to buy this stock, and, and, and you buy it, and then it, it goes, goes well and, and earns money. And then when you tell a friend about it and they say, why'd you buy that stock? You just tell them the 10 reasons. Well, I did it because of this, this, and this. Flip it. Pretend like the stockbroker calls you and says, man, you got to buy stock XYZ. And you say, well, why? And if your stockbroker, if you're close to him, says, you know, you just got to trust me on this one. You go, okay, 
never let me down in the past. I'll trust you. Go ahead and buy it. And then it earns money. When your friend says, why'd you buy that stock? You won't say, for this and this reason, you'll point to the stockbroker because I trust him. And he's good at it. And do you get the difference? And I'm not saying you should buy stocks one way or the other. I don't know nothing about that. Uh, but I'm saying, do you get the difference in focus? Is either the reasons or the person. And when it comes to our faith, God wants our focus to be a relationship with the person, not our human ability to always figure out the reasons for it. And God will say, you're just going to have to step out on some things. I've got a reason, and it'll make sense down the road, but for now, you've got to trust me, trust me, trust me. And that's what the Bible's about. It's a string of stories of people who trusted God and were glad or didn't trust God and disappointed, were disappointed with the way life turned out. And my life, your life, is a string of stories where we either trust God and we receive his results in our life or we choose not to trust God and we receive our own limited human results and regret it in our life. Well, the story continues, verse 13. Now, fortunately, Naaman had some some good friends, the type of people that I hope you have in your life. Naaman, even as a powerful guy, you may be a powerful person in whatever area of life, but even as a general, he had some guy that he had said, hey, I know I'm pretty smart and all that, but when you see me messing up, I want you to tell me. I'm empowering you to tell me. Everybody needs a friend like that in a men's group, a women's group, a community group, a mentoring relationship. Verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him and said, Naaman, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? See, they were packing up and headed home because Naaman was in a huff. And they said, hold on a minute. If the prophet had come out to you and said, in order to be healed of leprosy, Naaman, you must climb Mount Everest and bring me back the scalps of ten big feet. Wouldn't you have done that? And Naaman's like, oh, I'd be down for that. I would have loved it if he had asked me to do that. And they're like... Well, then just go to the river and dip in it. Give it a try. It doesn't make sense to us either. But what do you have to lose? Give it a try. And, and you know, this moment here reminds me of, 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 as a pastor, sometimes when when God's Spirit has really done something really fresh in somebody's life, they'll come have what I I refer to as a googly-eyed conversation with their pastor. They're like, Pastor Mike, man, I just, it's like I feel Jesus on me. I'm back. I'm like, well, I don't know where you were. Oh, man, I am, I am in with Jesus. I am feeling it today. I am just all for him. I'm like, that's great, man. Good for you. That's awesome. I, you know, I don't know why. but Okay, but Pastor Mike, tell me now. What do I need to do to now grow and keep this Jesus feeling on me? The Jesus juice flowing. Right? What, what do I do to give me something big to do? And I go, well... The way you, you keep growing once you've had an encounter with Jesus. Um, I mean, a quick outline. It looks kind of like tomorrow, get up in the morning. Open up your Bible to the Gospels. Because God is speaking perpetually to you through his word. And start reading about Jesus. And then after you've read a little bit of it, speak back to him about your life. And then do that the next day, the next day, and the next day. That's one of the main ways to keep the Jesus juice flowing in your life, if that's what you call it. Um, oh, and then um, uh, it's, it, commit into a 
Jesus-centered small group of people, men's, women's, community group, remix group, but where, where people are encouraging each other to follow Jesus and learning God's word together. That's kind of the next thing. Oh, and then in your church, um, if you, God's given you a spiritual gift to serve, to help other people grow spiritually and to give financially, uh, to help to power the mission of the gospel, and then live your, your work life and your home life like you're on mission, God's mission of love to the world, and every now and then go and in some way serve one of the aching needs of the world in the name of Jesus, the way the Remix Middle School group is doing this week with, with hurricane victims. Uh, that's it. And he's like, no, 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 that's too normal. Like, I've heard that before. Uh, I sort of kind of tried it. That's it. Give me something big. I want to climb Mount Everest spiritually to keep the Jesus juice flowing, just like one big thing to do. I'm like, no, this is kind of how God has said in his word that, that he grows us over time into an oak of righteousness when we avail ourselves of the ordinary means of grace. And, and what I've learned as pastor is the people who follow through with, with the ordinary, mundane means of grace taught in the Bible and exemplified in the daily life of Jesus that we can observe in the Gospels, those are the people who grow and thrive peaceful and strong in a relationship with God. And those who don't and wait for the heroic moment like Naaman wanted here are the ones who live hot and cold, up and down, God loves me, he loves me not type of faith. And the ordinary means of grace to grow spiritually strong are uh, at Lake Forest, we've summarized the biblical teaching with the four words discover, belong, share, and go. Discover more of God's word in worship weekly and in daily reading belong in a, in a Christ-centered small group of some sort where we're committed to share our time, talents, and treasure to help other people grow in our church and to go on the mission of God. And, and that googly-eyed conversation with me as pastor often ends with, well, dude, I mean, I once thought I would start reading the Bible daily, but I didn't follow through, so I don't want to try that again and be disappointed. That one's not going to work for me. Um, being weekly in, a, in a, a community group and in worship, I mean, that, I already got my peer group. And, and if I get in a community group of Christians, like, there'll be somebody I don't like. And there'll be some really weird people because religious people are weird, you know, is my experience in the past. And, 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 and so that's not really going to work for me. And, and to share some time helping serve in my church and, and in ministry and on mission, um, I mean, I, I think God's probably pretty happy, you know, with an hour of, uh, of worshiping him every, every three weeks. So, I, you know what, Pastor? When you come up with the big thing, because I thought my spiritual growth would happen with the big thing. When you come up with that, get, get back to me. Call me when you got the big thing. I long for you and me to just be those who let uh, God grow us slowly and surely through his ordinary means of grace, of worshiping, learning, serving, going, uh, year after year, decade after decade. That's how he grows oaks of righteousness. Well, you're like, Mike, does this guy get healed or not? Verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God and stood before him and said, hey, my leprosy's gone. God hooked me up. Nope. He said, now I know there's no God 
in all the world except this one. Yes, he got cleansed of his leprosy, and it worked out well in his life, and he understood the reason later, but his relationship with God took a great leap forward because his trust intersected with God's power, and he came away more not saying, hey, my leprosy's gone, but going, wow, there's a God who knows me, who sees me, and who loves me. And so you and I, this is what I want, is that you and I would trust even when we don't understand. And that that's the moment that seems to even more ignite the faithfulness and provision of God in a way that nothing else does. Let's pray, and then we'll conclude in worshiping this great, good God.